Welcome to Words of Grace, radio ministry of Elder Ben Winslet, pastor of the Flint River Primitive Baptist Church near Huntsville, Alabama. We invite you to stay tuned to today's broadcast. Our broadcast today is entitled, The Fear of the Lord. On today's broadcast, we want to speak about a rather fundamental subject, very elementary subject in Scripture, something that is common to those who walk with the Lord in the Old and the New Testament, and that is the fear of God. Now, ironically, as common as this is to those who know and follow the Lord in both the Old and the New Testament, as commonly taught about as it was in Scripture, as emphasized as it was in the book of Proverbs, for instance, the fear of the Lord is probably one of the least emphasized concepts in modern American Christianity. Perhaps this is a result of our seeker-sensitive church culture. Perhaps it's a side effect of the prosperity gospel, or maybe it's just a result a side effect of being callous and numb to sin in our apathetic Laodicean age. Either way, the fear of the Lord is a crucial topic and something that God's people ought to meditate upon and think about. After all, the Bible would refer to us as God-fearing people. It's probably a statement that your grandparents used to say a lot. That's a God-fearing man or that's a God-fearing woman, maybe when they were talking about somebody that was very devoted to the Lord. I recently asked a group of young people if they had ever heard this phrase, God-fearers, or that someone is a person who fears God, and they had. But to them and to many people today, it seems like the language of a previous generation of American life. But this is scriptural. It's a biblical phrase. It's a biblical concept, one that we want to emphasize on the broadcast today. Now, there are basically three areas of focus in today's broadcast. First of all, we want to define the fear of the Lord. We want to talk about what it means to fear God and maybe clarify on what we don't mean when we say a person fears the Lord. We want to consider why some people fear the Lord and some people don't. Why is it that you have God-fearers and you have people who are deniers of God, that have absolutely no fear of Him at all? In fact, the only emotion they seem to depict and display towards God is that of hatred and animosity. Why is it that some people fear God and some people don't? 
And then lastly, we want to consider how the fear of God is a basis, a foundation for our behavior and the benefits of having the fear of God as we approach our day-to-day lives. First of all, defining the fear of the Lord. When we talk about fearing God, we don't mean that those who fear God walk around with their hands over their head looking into the sky and into the greater cosmos, ducking lightning bolts. Because I fear God, it doesn't mean that I walk around all day afraid that God is just going to strike me down out of his own personal enjoyment, the way that some people describe the Greek and Roman gods or other pagan deities of human history. Now, in fact, being a person that fears God and being a person that understands the gospel of Christ, I have great peace in knowing him. I have great peace as a God-fearer. I know what the Word of God says about me, and I know what the Word of God says about God and his disposition towards me. And so because of that, though I fear God on one hand, I walk with great peace, a peace that, as Paul said, well, it passes all understanding. I don't walk around this world thinking that I could be killed by God at any moment because he's simply doing that for his own enjoyment, or that he's somehow maniacal or cruel or eagerly awaiting to just judge me on a moment's notice. Remember some fundamental immutable attributes of God from the Scriptures. We know that he is rich in mercy. We know that he loves his people. We know that he's slow to wrath. And so knowing those things, though I'm a God-fear, and though I know that he has all power to sever me from his presence in the lake of fire forever, because I fear him and because I trust in him, I'm not walking around every day glancing up into heaven with my hands over my head trying to block or dodge a lightning bolt. But what this word fear means, what we mean when we say the fear of the Lord or the fear of God We have a reverence for God, and so sometimes preachers, as they talk about the fear of the Lord, will add that word reverential before the word fear to describe what type of a fear we're talking about. We reverence God. At the same time, as we think about God and His power and His majesty, His holiness, we are struck with a sense of awe. We are in awe of Him. The word All is the root for a word we use commonly today, awesome, but it's also the root for a word that at one time in the history of the English language meant nearly the same thing, and that's the word awful. We could be full of all. Today we say awful when we have reference to something that's terrible, something that's bad, but we are in awe of God. We look at his creation and his wisdom and his power, and we're just driven to our knees in wonder and amazement at who God is and what God can do. Along those lines, as one who fears God, I have a desire from my heart to be in submission to Him. God-fearers are people who desire to submit to God. They have this submissiveness to Him, this fear of God, breaches over into the area of submission. And also understanding that God is my Father, understanding that the Lord Jesus died upon the cross for me, understanding that He's holy, and certain behaviors that people do are offensive to Him. I have a desire to please Him 
and I have a desire to not displease him. I don't want to displease him, and I want to please him. And I believe that this is also a part of what we generally describe as the fear of the Lord or the fear of God. Now, by the way, you can go through Scripture and you can read examples of this, of people who fear God and people who don't fear God, statements regarding people that fear God and how they have been changed, how they respond differently to things that occur in this world. It's a great study for someone to undertake, the concept of the fear of the Lord, and I would encourage you to do that as a matter of personal discipleship. Now, as we think about the fear of the Lord It's also important to remember that every single time a sinner, and when we say sinner, we might have reference to a person that's born of the Spirit, but we're yet sinners in this world. If any man say he has no sin, he deceives himself. We're all sinners. Paul said in Romans 7, even when he would do good, evil is present with him until we leave this world, until we die, until our bodies die and the Spirit goes to be with God who gave it, that Spirit having been quickened and regenerated. Well, we yet have the nature of the flesh, the nature of Adam, a nature of sin. And because of that, we are still sinners. Now, as Luther observed, We are sinners, and yet we are simultaneously justified. God has justified us, but as far as our own day-to-day lives, prior to glorification, if the body lives, if we're still living and we've not yet been glorified, we are sinners. Not unsaved sinners, if we know him, but sinners nonetheless, in a practical way of thinking about it. We still have the nature of sin, even though our sins have been washed away from us. For a sinner to find himself in God's presence, well, it was a terrifying experience for everyone who experienced it. Now, in the book of Genesis, we find an account where Jacob falls asleep as he's on the run from his brother, going to his uncle Laban's, and as Jacob is asleep, he sees a dream of a ladder extending up to heaven And these angels are ascending and descending upon this ladder that extends up to heaven. And God, from the top of this ladder, speaks to Jacob in this dream and this vision. But when Jacob wakes up, he actually says that the Lord was in this place, and I knew it not. And he was afraid. And this is in Genesis chapter 28 and verse 17. He said, how dreadful is this place? This is none other but the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. And so he builds a little pillar there out of these stones that he slept on, and he begins to speak to God and to promise to God that he would give to God and his calls of his belongings here in the world. This was something that impacted Jacob. It changed his life from this point on. Jacob was a different person. But notice what Jacob says about the presence of God, and this was only a vision. It was only seeing God in a dream. God is in this place, and how dreadful was it? And so as far back as the book of Genesis, people, when they are in the direct presence of God in all his glory, when they have an unfiltered access to what God is, well, they're terrified. In the book of Daniel, this wise man, Daniel, this man that was in Babylonian captivity, he sees a vision, and in this vision, he sees Christ in all of his glory. He sees Jesus, and the description that he sees of Christ is so similar to that of Christ in the book of Revelation after his crucifixion and his ascension as John the Apostle saw him in all of his glory. 
This is in the book of Daniel chapter 10, by the way. As Daniel saw this vision, and Daniel saw what the Lord looks like in all of his glory, he had a very close glimpse, as it were, of God unfiltered. He beholds himself, and according to verse 8, his comeliness was turned in him into corruption, and he retained no strength. And Daniel fell into a deep sleep. He fainted and fell on his face. And then angels comfort him and strengthen him and say, be strong, man of God. And they call him greatly beloved, and they set him up upon his knees and upon the palms of his hand. And Daniel stood there trembling. What had Daniel seen? He caught a glimpse of God revealed to him in his glory, the Son of God, revealed himself unto Daniel in his glory, and Daniel falls on his face as a dead man. At the same time, find a New Testament example. That was in the Babylonian captivity. The first example we looked at was all the way back in the book of Genesis. The last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, John, the last remaining apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, has his visions, and he sees Christ high and lifted up. And as he sees Jesus... He fell at his feet, in Revelation one seventeen as dead. And he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last. John falls on his face as a dead man. He faints when he sees in this vision Christ in his glory. Now, I went through those three examples just to point out to you that when a sinner finds himself in God's presence, it's a terrifying thing. Jacob says it's a dreadful place. Daniel's comeliness was turned to corruption, and he falls on his face. John falls on his face as a dead man and has to be lifted back up and comforted of God. Now, while we haven't seen God face to face, and while we haven't seen this unfiltered glimpse that these men and others in the Word of God have seen, if we are born of the Spirit, our hearts know Him. And so on the inside of us, there's something telling us that we are standing in the presence of a perfect, holy God, and we are yet sinners. And that causes us on the inside to have this reverential fear of God, this awareness of Him, this recognition that He could destroy us and cast us in the lake of fire, and at the same time, peace and love, because we know that even though he could, he's not going to, because he loves us, he cares for us. Now, the second point that we want to consider today on the broadcast is why some fear God and others don't. Simply put, grace in the heart that is given in the new birth gives us this reverential fear of God. The fear of God is the result of the new birth. In the book of Romans chapter 3, we read that there's no fear of God before the eyes of the natural man. And this is a passage that we love to emphasize here on the radio. We love to emphasize it in the pulpit, frankly, because it's a passage that needs to be preached in our day and age. It's a portion of Scripture that people haven't read, they don't know, they don't understand. And if they did, their theology would be impacted for the better because this flies in the face of so much of what we hear in today's time. As we read in Romans 3.10, there's none righteous, no, not one. And as you see in the first part of that verse, as it is written, this means it comes from the Old Testament, and certainly it does. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. 
They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. This is speaking about humanity in all of our depravity prior to knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. Their throat is an open sepulcher, a grave. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps, that's a venomous snake, is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. The way of peace they have not known. And listen to how he sums up this description of them. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Why is it that some people fear God and some people don't? Well, to put it in as simple of terms as I can, if I am yet in my sins, if I am not born of the Spirit, if I am dead in trespasses and in sins, as Ephesians chapter 2 says, if I am lost, if I am an unregenerate, or if I am a reprobate, well, the Word of God says there's no fear of God before my eyes. And so the type of person that Paul is writing about here is the person that doesn't know the Lord, and the person that doesn't know the Lord has no fear of God before their eyes. The quickened man, however, knows God, and the quickened person, man or woman, has the law of God written upon their hearts. You find a reference to this in the book of Hebrews chapter 8, one of many passages that talk about the law of God being written on the hearts of men. If the law of God is written on a person's heart, that person is a saved person. That person has been quickened because the natural man is void of the law of God in his heart. He despises the law, and when he hears the law, according to Romans chapter 7, it works in him all manner of concupiscence or forbidden desire. But God puts his laws upon the minds and the hearts of his people. He writes them on their hearts. He puts them in their mind. He will be to them a God. They shall be to him a people, and they will all know him from the least to the greatest. This is Hebrews chapter 8, verses 10 and 11. When you have the laws of God written on your heart, you are a person that has in your heart this fear of God. You have become a God-fearer because, number one, you know God. And again, to know God, well, the same experience Jacob and Daniel and John had in their mind, you have in your heart, you have had an encounter with God, and because of that you fear Him. At the same time, the laws of God being written on your heart expose your own sinfulness and God's holiness, and you know that if not for the grace of God, you have no hope of being with Him in glory because you have violated his laws, and you know that from the heart. His laws are written on your heart. That's why the gospel message is so sweet to us, because it teaches us of the remedy for our sins. We have God's laws written upon our hearts. We know that we're guilty. We have the sting of sin upon our conscience, but when the gospel of Christ is preached to us, it gives us a peace that passeth all understanding, because we know that Jesus has taken away our sins. Now, along those lines, tying this in to some of the usage of this language in the book of Acts, Acts contains the Acts of the Apostles. This is the record of their ministries and how the church began to spread through the world. It gives us things that were done by apostles and gospel ministers. You have Peter, James, and John, and then we have Stephen and Philip, and then we have the Apostle Paul and Silas, Paul and Barnabas. You have the journeys and the preaching ministry of these men recorded as God-inspired history. The apostles literally target God-fearers with the gospel message. Now, you may become a God-fearer 
before you hear the word. You might become a God-fearer after you've heard the word. But until God changes your heart, you're not going to be a God-fearer, and the word is not going to be sensible to you. It's not going to make sense. It's going to be foolish to you if you're yet a natural man. In Acts chapter 10, there was a man named Cornelius that feared God with all his house, and he prayed to God. He had given much to the calls of God in the world, and he was not yet a Christian. He was a proselyte, as it were. He believed in the God of the Old Testament, but he didn't know the truth as it was in Christ. And so God gives this man a vision to send for Peter. God gives Peter a vision to tell him to go to this man as this man sends messengers to fetch him, as it were. Peter goes to this man and tells him that what God has cleansed, he cannot call common. And in every nation, he that feareth God and works righteousness is accepted with God. Now, why do they fear God? Because they're changed by the grace of God. Why are they accepted with God? Because they've been made accepted in the beloved through the death of Jesus Christ. But notice how Peter is being sent to a God-fearer in this passage. Now, you might say, well, that's an extraordinary example of an apostle going to this man that God had changed, and God is probably doing something different in the world than he usually does in most cases. But I want you to notice this from the preaching of the apostle Paul in Acts chapter 13. Paul preaches indiscriminately to people, and he often sought out a Jewish audience, but I want you to notice to whom the word of this salvation is sent. Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation sent. And by the end of that chapter, we would read that as many as were ordained to eternal life believed the message of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 13 and verse 48. But this gospel message literally targets the God-fearers. These are the people that we are searching for with the message of the preaching of the cross. Now, as we come to the final point that we want to make on the broadcast today, the benefits of the fear of God as far as our own personal behavior and the way that we live in the world. The fear of God is to be the basis for our behavior as people, or, if you will, the foundation for why we act, what we do, how we behave in this world. As we opened up today, fearing God impacts the way that I live. I don't want to displease God. At the same time, I know that God is my Father, and as my Father, He will chasten me when I have done wrong. He will encourage me when I have done right. He loves me. He's not going to throw me in the lake of fire into prison forever, because this is parental, not punitive. You chasing a child, you punish a criminal, there's a great distinction made between God's dealings with us as his children and his dealings with the wicked, those who will be judged according to their works and cast into the lake of fire. But I am going to live in a different way, knowing that God can chasten me and knowing that he either approves or disapproves of my behavior. And this is so similar to the way children are with their parents. If you have a couple of good parents, now none of us are perfect. We all do the best that we can, I think. But if you have a couple of decent parents and a child that is soft-hearted and loves his mom and his dad, it's going to break that child's heart to displease their parent, to grieve their parents, to break their parent's heart with bad behavior. And it ought to. That's fitting. It's appropriate. It's a good thing if a child feels guilty for disappointing their parent when their parent had a good and reasonable expectation for their child. 
Our behavior is improved for the better because of the fear of God, and the fear of God is to be the basis for our behavior. It's why we do what we do as people as far as our morality, the ethics of daily living, and even the way that we interact in the church and the fact that we go to church. Listen, church attendance is down some 30 to 40 percent in this country, and I just want to ask the people who have abandoned the church, do you not fear God? Do you not respect him? Are you not ashamed to disappoint him and displease him? I hope the thought of offending God and disappointing him turns our stomachs. We ought to be concerned with offending him. I don't want to make God disappointed in me, and because of that, I'm going to change the way that I live. When God has shown me something that is in my life and is wrong, well, I'm going to curb my behavior, as it were. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 1 and verse 7, we read, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. In Proverbs, chapter 9 and verse 10, we read that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so, in Proverbs 1, fearing God is the beginning of knowledge. In Proverbs 9, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, both knowledge and wisdom wisdom begin with the fear of God. Now, those who do right by the language would be wise to point out that there's a great difference in knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is what you know. Wisdom is making good decisions and choices based upon the information that you have, or perhaps another way of saying this, rightly using the knowledge that you have. There's a difference in knowledge and wisdom, but notice the fear of God is both the beginning of knowledge and the beginning of wisdom. Now, notice here that in Proverbs 1, he contrasts this, Solomon, the writer of Proverbs, with another type of person, not a God-fearer, but a fool. Remember what I said earlier about the difference in the types of people, the God-fearer and the person that doesn't fear God, the unregenerate or the reprobate. You know, the fool says in his heart in the book of Psalms that there is no God. The psalmist writes that the fool secretly in his heart doesn't believe that there's a God. And because of that, according to Romans 1, he's a hater of God in reality. He's without excuse. He has no excuse at all. Willingly ignorant of the fact that God exists. But he says in his heart there is no God Instead of walking in the fear of this God that has created us, the fool believes that he doesn't exist at all. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Again, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so as we think about fear and the fear of God as the basis for our behavior, walking in a healthy fear of God changes our behavior for the better. We don't want to displease God. We don't want to be chastened of God. We understand that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We understand how great He is, how holy He is, and how sinful we are. Friends, we need a healthy fear of God in our own individual lives. Now, by the way, we'll conclude our broadcast today with this. This healthy sort of reverential fear of God that I've been talking about today to you on Words of Grace needs to be restored in our hearts. It needs to be restored in our homes. 
It needs to be restored in our churches, and it needs to be restored in our nation today. We often talk about revival in the church and how we need revival. We desire to be revived, and we often have in mind things that are glorious to us, things that are exciting, church growth, building new facilities to house people who would come into the church. But let me tell you, if you want a real revival, if there's a real revival that needs to be had in our country, it's going to begin with the fear of God. Maybe what we ought to pray for as American Christians is a revival of the fear of God at all levels of society in our country. Join me in praying that over the coming weeks. Again, I'm Ben Winslet, thanking you for listening to Words of Grace today, inviting you to write and let me know that you've received the broadcast and also to tune in again next week at this time. Until then, may the Lord's richest blessings be yours, is my prayer. If you enjoy the messages you hear on Words of Grace, consider this your invitation to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. Copies of this and other broadcasts are available for download on iTunes and on our website. To contact us, address your correspondence to Words of Grace Radio, 641 Moontown Road, Brownsboro, Alabama, 35741, or visit us online at flintriverpbc.org.